It's a good way of putting it. And now I'm excited and a little fearful, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Hers are scary. I understand. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald. My chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And returning to the show, my next guest you know from the Tale of Ord, from the Emerald Flame, and now the Light in the Mist, which is coming to Kickstarter very shortly. Rita Orlov, welcome back. Hello, so glad to be back. Thank you. It is an exciting time. As of right now, we are only eight days out from the Kickstarter at least as far as recording this. And how are you feeling? You got everything squared away? You Everything's tied up and you're just coasting? Or is this still the desperate struggle to put the whole house together before <laughs> everything launches? Somewhere between those two. We've got almost everything ready, but definitely uh, brimming with excitement and, you know, dotting all the I's and things like that. Well, this is a project worth being excited about. As I just showed on the video, I have a copy of the game right here. My wife and I are fresh off the heels of having completed this, and we've played each of your previous games released by Post Curious. And I gotta tell you, you crushed it on this game. Does it feel different? Like, do you feel like, man, this, this is a next level design for me? It does kind of feel like we crushed it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback and we're very happy with how everything came together. And it's been a really interesting process making the game and kind of uh, seeing it grow into something that is even better than what we expected it to be when we started on that journey. So, I mean, it's definitely a departure from games that I've designed previously. So it's almost just like an interesting experiment of what I could come up with given this sort of different medium in a way. Right. And we're not going to get into any spoilers in the conversation today. So people can be aware of that. So you got to have spoiler disclaimers for everything, which, you know, it makes sense. People want to be surprised. But... Like, my expectations going into this was that it was going to feel very limited. I mean, I had high expectations because I know of your work in the past, and I didn't think that you'd be putting out something that you wouldn't be very proud of. But I still thought that the, the scope would be so much smaller. Part of that is because the Tale of Ord and the Emerald Flame feel like the, there's almost no restraints to how far the game can extend. There's so many different components and pieces and so many different physical aspects to the game that play into your environment and the tools you use. This is all one small box and a deck of tarot cards and a, a, a guide uh, that you utilize. You don't even have to rely on any sort of digital tools aside from the hint system if you really want to. Did you think that this was going to be sort of like a, a compromised game by switching to this really confined medium? I wouldn't use the word compromised, I guess, but I did fear that it might feel more limited mm -hmm. just because in my other games, like you said, there could be such a variety of different objects and, you know, the even like having 
kind of the letters and artwork take different forms, like having, even if it's just different sizes of paper or like using all kinds of uh, tactile, um, you know, investigation of the objects, which you could only do to a certain degree with the cards. But that was something, but the tactility was really something that I wanted to maintain in this game. So when I first started designing it, my biggest question was, okay, I have a deck of cards. That's pretty much all I have to design this game with. So how do I use that medium to its fullest extent? Like, how do I create a tactile experience using cards? And how do I take the fact that it's cards and use that to its strength rather than it feeling like a weakness that it's oh it's just cards as opposed to using the cards to create something new that i haven't seen before done in a card game this is tarot based i mean it even says on the front of it it's a tarot puzzle tale and the primary object that you're manipulating is the deck of tarot cards what's your relationship to tarot i don't have a very long personal relationship to tarot to be honest but it's always been something that has interested me and Jack has a bit more experience with it. Um, but it was something that I, I had a friend and we sort of played, <laughs> so to speak, played with them a bit uh, when I was a bit younger, but it, it was always something that interested me and I wanted to use the tarot as the inspiration for both the puzzles and the story in the game. So I did a bunch of research and explored a lot more about it uh, before I started designing it. So that way the design can really reflect the meanings of the cards. Uh, so everything is really driven by that. And that was kind of how everything came together. And I think the fact that it feels woven together is because we used those threads to connect everything. You mentioned Jack. Jack Fallows is on the box as well. He was the person who did uh, the predominant amount of illustrations involved in this. But you you are a very accomplished artist in and of yourself, and you've done a lot of the artwork for previous games that you've released. When did you decide to bring someone else into this? I didn't feel like I was the right person to be illustrating the tarot card deck. Um, and even though... I have done illustration in the past, even for Emerald Flame, I did all the artwork for the game itself, but I didn't do the artwork for the cover of the box. Um, and that's because I had a certain vision for it and I didn't think that I would be able to really communicate that with my illustration skills, which are not that developed. <laughs> um, and I mean, Jack is, Jack's a really incredible artist and I think that their style of drawing really suits the subject matter very well. And so it wasn't even necessarily when did I decide to bring someone on, but it was more like I had this idea and Jack and I had kind of thrown around the possibility of collaborating on something. And so I was like, hey, would you ever want to illustrate a tarot deck? And that was something that they had kind of thought about for a long time, but there's so many tarot decks out there. They didn't feel like it would be necessarily a reason to add another one to it unless there was something kind of special about it. Um, and this felt special enough that they were interested in the project. And we actually co-wrote the story together. So even so, it's not just that they illustrated it, but it really 
you know, we, we formed kind of a shared vision for the whole project. And even though we did have our own kind of separate roles, I think you can definitely like both of us have poured pieces of our soul into it. Was there a challenge in translating the puzzle concepts into the, the illustrations that someone else was working on? Because you are so much more intimately involved in, I think the, the, the presentation, like the, the mechanics and the visuals are so much more integrated in a project like this. I imagine that there's got to be at least some bit of struggle in getting into the groove on that. I mean, maybe a little bit in some spots, but I basically created an entire draft version of every single card in the deck before we even got close to starting on the illustrations. So I had essentially the minimal viable product for all of the puzzles, and that got tested a few times before Jack started doing any sketches. And so by the time that they were starting to do that, I already knew kind of which elements of the puzzles needed to be there. And because I had everything drawn out, and then I wrote a very long uh, document that listed exactly every single requirement for every single card of what needed to be there. And so it'd be like, you know, this has to have four swords and they need to be in this shape and they're going to, you know, have this color and triangles on the end. And then, and then it was just like, do, do what you want with the rest of it. Just don't add anything like weird or distracting. That's gonna, you know, take people away from the puzzle or think that these things have any meaning. And it's actually like, it was amazing to see my really crappy draft artwork come <laughs> to life. So I have like a handful of drawings that were just so plain and had the very basic possible line work uh, that you can imagine. And then Jack would come back with like <laughs> these beautiful sketches that would just constantly blow my mind. Um, so I think it was, it felt like a really good kind of union, uh, you know, like they understood what I was trying to get across and then kind of uh, really added their own creativity to it. First off, I think Kickstarter backers should be able to back for an add-on of the Orlov director's cut <laughs> with, uh, you know, the, the prototype imagery on there. Uh, would love that. Second, was there ever any sort of feedback loop in which the illustrations that Jack was doing ended up impacting how you wanted to approach a puzzle or was it very, uh, I, I guess, uh, assembly line driven? You came up with everything, illustrations were done, you checked to make sure that those all worked out and then the, the product was finished for that individual card. Probably more along the lines of the latter because the, the main, you know, the main purpose of the illustrations was to communicate the, the puzzle information, so to speak. Um, so once that was settled, which it kind of had to be settled through playtesting, because if I was going to suddenly start changing stuff around, that might mean that other stuff might have to be changed around. Um, and that would mean more changes to the sketches. So it was really, um, I think it ended up creating just a more efficient flow for us to have most of the puzzle elements settled. I mean, there were a couple things that uh, changed as we went along, but they were mostly pretty minor because redoing artwork <laughs> is <laughs> can be a pretty painful process sometimes. And 
Um, also, just drawing out 78 cards is an enormous task. Uh, so it's taken many, many months to even get to the point where we are now, and we're still just finishing up like the final shading on the last handful of cards. So basically, like having to redo any of that process would have ended up costing a lot more time. The visual presentation is outstanding, and I think that immediately it's going to be eye-catching for anyone who's just kind of looking through at different puzzle tale games. Uh, and like I said, I, I think the the importance of the visual product is so much more uh, germane to the overall experience than it might be uh, in other games. How did you meet Jack? We touched base kind of a few years ago when I started this a group for just makers of puzzle games on Facebook. And I reached out and I was like, hey, do you want to join our group? Because there's a bunch of us now and we kind of wanted a place where we can talk to other people who are in this niche part of the industry and like share information um, and, you know, just be supportive of one another. So that was how we started talking. And then we met at Up the Game in 2019, which is in Escape Room Conference that was in the Netherlands. And so we kind of um, hit it off there and at some point later talked about a collaboration and yeah. This box is a, like I said earlier, it's kind of a, a, an interesting standalone thing in that it doesn't call in all these other aspects. You don't need to use the computer in order to uh, play it. How much of the, the uh, decision to make your next game this kind of confined structure uh, was part of just it was the next interesting thing that you wanted to work on and how much was it you saying you know what post curious needs like a, a small box game that hits a certain msrp that we want to be able to make kind of like a, a marquee game that people would be more willing to just shell out a, a, a smaller amount of cash for well as far as the small i mean the small box is just this game doesn't call for a big box, but I did want to aim something for uh, with a lower MSRP because I wanted to make a game that was going to be more accessible to people. And especially, you know, Emerald Flame is like $69. Not everyone's willing to shell that out for a tabletop game. Um, so I thought that, you know, having a more affordable option would give a wider access to this game. But the lack of internet use was definitely something intentional. And well, I wanna say that I'm moving toward that direction, but considering what the next game might be, that might actually not be true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I found that when I, I've been playing games myself, uh, I'm happier when I don't have to go to the computer. And mm. like, it's okay if it's for hints, but I'm not a huge fan of having to do the online research. And um, Emerald Flame has a small online component, which you, it's mostly to enter the solutions, but you don't need it to solve the majority of the puzzles. But even so, there were people who were like, we want to rent a cabin in the woods. Can we play this game there? Because we won't have any cell reception. And 
I want to be able to say yes to that question. <laughs> but I think especially with the light in the mist, like, please go rent a cabin in the woods and play this there because it's like, that would be the perfect atmosphere for this game. Um, but it, I, I think it just makes more sense in terms of what's happening in the story for it to be self-contained. So you are now full-time with Post Curious, and uh, I've seen you work, pull apart an escape room, and I've also <laughs> gone through the the body of Post Curious's releases at this point. And I got to imagine that you have like an intrinsic understanding of how to just pull apart a puzzle like you know it, it's almost like a, a a rib that you're pulling the bone straight out of you know and i i wonder if that makes it challenging to sometimes have perspective over what the layman audience uh would be capable of you know where where that balance between frustrating but fun to frustrating and i just want to give up on this game there's no union between all of the audience, but like, what do you do when designing a game to, to make sure that it hits well for your audience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, difficulty is a tricky thing, right? And you're never going to be able to please everybody. But I think the biggest thing that will impact uh, just how the puzzles end up being designed is playtesting. Like, how do people react to it? Are most people able to solve it? Does everybody get stuck on something? Obviously, that needs to be changed in some way. And if, like, 90% of people are solving the puzzle without using any hints, then you know that generally it works. And, like, there might be some people who it's just not their type of puzzle or they don't happen to think of what the solution is, um, but their strengths might lie somewhere else. Um, and, you know, some people are just not spatial puzzle people. Some people are not great at word puzzles and things like that. So I think, like, I'm always trying to imbue a game with a lot of variety in terms of puzzle types so that there's always going to be a little bit for everybody to be able to solve. Um, and But I think more just the more you design and the more you play test, the better understanding you have of what's going to work and what isn't going to work. And having done it for at least a few years now, like I can have in my mind when I'm designing a puzzle, well, if I put this here, that might confuse them. So instead I'm going to do this other thing because that'll be clearer. And the way that I word this, you know, actually wording gets changed oftentimes even much more than the artwork, because if you, sometimes you can just use a word and that'll like, Put people down some other rabbit hole that you didn't expect and then it's like oh well okay i can't use that word because now you think it's this totally other thing and so finessing like the cluing is actually um ended up being like more i was surprised by how much more finessing of clues i had to do during the playtesting than um changing any of the artwork even in its sketch form uh, but that's also because to Jack, I was like, you got to make this perfectly clear so that they see exactly what this thing is. And like, you know, I, ha I have a bit of a micromanage <laughs> approach when it comes to clarity. So I would even like go into some drawings and make this like, okay, I got to make this like a tiny bit bigger because otherwise it's just like hard to see. And, you know, working on them was weird too because I'm on the computer, right? So I have the card blown up pretty big and the things that I'm seeing 
are not what you're going to be seeing when you print it out at this size. Um, so that was also a, a bit of a challenge to make sure that everything was going to be clearly visible at the size that it was printed. Now, this game has a, to me, it's a different feeling in playing it than your other games, not just in the, the scope of it, but also I found that in spite of the general opacity uh, of um, puzzles, I don't know if opacity is a word, but I'm going to use it for now. <laughs> it's a word. <laughs> um, but they are difficult. They are very challenging. Sometimes you kind of have to just look at some cards splayed out in front of you and kind of work things over in your mind. Nonetheless, uh, intuition clicks uh, at a higher rate for me with this than it has in your previous games, which I've also loved, but I've had to rely on loads of hints and that kind of stuff. Part of that may just be that my wife and I are getting better at these games, right? But the, there feels like a difference in how the puzzles are, are structured so that rarely is there a solution where it's like, oh, I, I never would have gotten that in a million years. You know, that's completely out of my wheelhouse, which even some of your great stuff in the past, there, there's been ones where it's like, oh, I'm glad I checked the hints because whew, I needed to get through that. Did it feel like you were doing something different with this one? Did you have any different approach in the puzzles themselves? I think having, uh, because this game has kind of a separate clue for each puzzle that right. you're meant to read before you start working on it, it was easier to work in a little bit more signposting into that especially for the more difficult puzzles. So a lot of times I don't start with that much information in the clue, but if I find that people are struggling too much on one point or another and it's you know creating a hindrance to them understanding what uh, I think like they should be able to solve it, oh, maybe just this little tidbit of information would help. Um, so... I think, I mean, I consciously tried to make this game a little bit of a lower difficulty level than my previous ones. And that's just because I want more people to be able to play it and enjoy it and not feel like it would be too challenging for them if they haven't had a lot of experience with puzzles before. So I think to a certain extent, there's probably some puzzles in which I may have added information into the clue that would have normally been like the first hint if mm. I were making a slightly harder game. The moment of brilliance to me, and maybe one of the more insidious moments uh, in the game design, uh, is the multi-use cards. I mean, I love that in all sorts of games. Like anytime that I sit down with a game and there's like multi-use cards, it could be a Euro or American game, what, whatever. I'm like, oh, dude, this is awesome. Here, having the, the cards be related to different uh, puzzles themselves, the, the major arcana, uh, is fantastic uh, and, like I said, a little bit insidious because you sit down and you have to start deciphering what about this card actually is applicable to the current puzzle and what might be applicable to other ones. And what's really great about it is that I think that builds into that more intuitive structure that I was just talking about that eventually you get to the point where you can identify features where you're like, no, we've already cleared this way. This this was part of that other puzzle. So surely this beast in the corner or this line here or this key or whatever it is applies to something else. 
was the multi-use cards concept there from the very beginning? Yeah, it was because I kind of knew that we were going to need to use the minor arcana cards for more than one puzzle if I was going to make the whole thing work because we've got 22 major arcana cards and almost all of them use other puzzles. Some of them use, sorry, <laughs> almost all of them use other cards. Some of them use a lot of other cards. So there was bound to be some overlap and it took me a while. Actually, I have like a big spreadsheet of uh, where like what puzzles each card contains and that, mm -hmm. you know, there was quite a bit of shifting in that when I was trying to fit in the information because sometimes I had a certain card assigned to a certain puzzle and then it was like, well, maybe this lizard isn't going to fit on this card, so I got to <laughs> move it somewhere else. Yeah, uh, logistically, that sounds incredibly challenging. Yeah, it was kind of a fun challenge, though. That was like my big puzzle was for the game was fitting in all of these puzzles into the cards. And of course, you know, they all had to look distinct from one another so that you wouldn't be looking at the card and be confused over what was belonging to which puzzle. So, you know, I think there were for the most part, clear signs of like, well, if you've got a flower on your major arcana card, it's probably these flowers on the cards that are connected to them and not, you know, the other elements on there. Let's talk about the story for a little bit, because the story to this uh, was probably more than anything, the most surprising part. And again, without giving away any spoilers, I think it's just a, a very grounded and very emotional story, which contrasts so heavily with what I've come to expect out of this genre. You know, usually it's spies and hidden world changing information and, you know, real... Uh, crazy stuff that feels kind of pulpy. So tell me about the genesis of the Light in the Mist story. Sure. So we actually started with a kind of a different concept. Like it was meant to be more of like a choose your own path, playing through the cards. And like, um, this isn't really a spoiler because it's in the instructions. So I'm going to say it. But <laughs> some, some of the cards have more than one possible answer that will lead you to different story passages. And so in the original concept, you would have to actually choose which one you were going to, which path you were going to take, and you might get different objects uh, based on which path you went. And then there would be a different ending. But all of the passages that you got from solving the cards were, they were supposed to read kind of like fates. And so it was kind of more based on the idea of fortune telling um, but ultimately it ended up, it ended up just being too much subtext and there wasn't really much substance to it. And so my first playtester that played through the whole game, uh, said, oh, I love the concept. I love the puzzles, but I do not connect to this narrative at all. Um, because there wasn't really anything to connect to. And so we ended up scrapping that whole thing and we're just like, okay, we need to write like a real story with a character um, that that people can connect to and relate to. And this was also like the middle of COVID isolation. And so there were a lot of things on my mind in particular about just like in how we relate to other people and, you know, people feeling isolated from others and how you know, sometimes it might be difficult to reach out to those people or how people might not feel brave or comfortable enough to reach out to others. 
and how do we write a story that kind of talks about that and brings this issue to people's minds and also kind of trying to have empathy and understanding toward others that, you know, you never know what's going on in somebody's life. And somebody might seem kind of standoffish to you, but maybe it's like not actually your fault because maybe they just have other things going on. And, you know, finding finding a way to relate to people and talk about things like that. And so that was kind of our intention with the story once once we rewrote the whole thing. And yeah. <laughs> the game is designed to be kind of a sandbox. You know, you get to pick which of the major arcana that you go on to next, which is fantastic. But also, again, I, I would have expected that the story would feel disjointed and not to feel as cohesive and like it, it's actually revealing information as you go. Um, did that did that take a lot of passes? You know, that that also seems very challenging to me to have what is ultimately a clear story where you're putting together kind of like patchwork vignettes um, out of something that could be done in a in a totally non-linear fashion. Yeah, it was definitely a challenge and it took some iteration to make it make sense. And especially with some of the plot details that, you know, there's developments in this person's life that if you're not reading it in the linear order might end up being a little bit confusing because, you know, just like when you're watching Memento and you don't know exactly when <laughs> anything is happening, uh, you know, you're kind of jumping back and forth in time when you're jumping through the different passages. And so you have to kind of be constructing that timeline in your mind as you go. And there were a lot of little details that we sprinkled throughout different passages to kind of try and give them some kind of placement in time and, and location um, and like, you know, the character's age or like who is she talking to or how is she relating to them in this scene and whether that is happening later or earlier in her life. Um, so there were, we ended up like adding kind of more markers in certain places to try and make that clearer for, for players. And if anybody really wanted to just read it linearly, they could read through the entire booklet <laughs> from start to end. You even mentioned that in the booklet. Yeah. Well, because some people enjoy reading stories, but they don't necessarily have a mind for puzzles or maybe they just want to have tarot and read a little tale that goes along with it. Um, we weren't originally going to have it be in the linear order in the book. Um, but then we decided that it makes sense to do that just because if somebody did want to read it, they could. But also if you start picking up on that at some point, then you might realize that like, oh, you're reading passage 58. This happened before passage 72. So, but I mean, I don't think it really matters that much, but it's just a, it's just an extra marker for you to know where you are in the timeline. This is a much different production uh, than everything that you've done in the past. And so like from the time that the Kickstarter launches, which inevitably will fund, unless you're like, I need $9 billion in order to <laughs> kickstart this, uh, there is no way this is not going to fund. I'm going to personally make sure that it funds because <laughs> I, I am not blowing smoke when I say that this has been, for me, the, the best puzzle tale um, that I've played by you or anyone else at this point. Um, 
but when it funds and that Kickstarter closes, what are the next steps? You know, how does this differ from, uh, you know, previous projects that you've worked on? Well, I'm really looking forward to a much simpler production process because the Emerald Flame has been so complicated to make and it's kind of been stuck in the manufacturing phase for a long time and pre-production took us a really long time because uh, there were so many complicated components and they and some of them required iteration and this is just going to be so much more straightforward to manufacture because it's mostly paper and cardboard and like even the collector's edition which you'll find on the kickstarter is not nearly as complicated as the emerald flame because it's got maybe 10 components and the emerald flame has like 60 or something <laughs> something along those lines like i'm not even i don't even remember the full count but it, there are a lot um so i'm i mean i'm hoping it will be a much shorter production process so that we can get the game out to people faster. Well, you're a full timer at this point. And as much as I could just continue talking about the light in the mist, I gotta ask what's on the horizon. You always gotta be thinking about the next thing. This is this is your gig. So wh what's in the future for Post Curious? So I've got a little seasonal game cooking right now, which I'm hoping to release um, just before Christmas. And that will be a limited edition that I'll be putting together myself and I guess I don't know for 100% if it will actually end up happening this year. <laughs> <laughs> Just given the Kickstarter and then the Emerald Flame delivery, if somehow I get like buried under a pile of other things, then I guess it might not happen. But 2021 is have, weird. Will, we, we won't hold will, you it, to it. Yeah, but probably. Um, <laughs> and it's going gonna, it's gonna to have some really cool uh, illustrations by another artist that I love. And then I've got a lot of seeds that will grow into something I'm very excited about for next year and I can't say too much about it yet because it hasn't really been determined but it will involve building things and sometimes they will not have straight lines and <laughs> that is all I will say. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it and now I'm excited <laughs> and a little fearful if I'm being honest. <laughs> Who knows what's going to be involved? Curves are scary. I understand. I love grids. So this is this is me being like, break out of right angles. You know, you've featured so <laughs> many different locales in your games at this point. And uh, what I find really interesting is that uh, you're a New Yorker yourself. And me, having grown up either outside of the United States or in Alaska, the, the, there's no more iconic place than new york what's the resistance like oh, why are you going to other places uh is it that you're already so saturated in new york is it that there's so much more new york media out there why don't we have the next great post curious game here to to show jack this romanticized version of new york that he's built up in his head um it's not really as exciting as you'd think for one thing <laughs> but i mean i i let the game dictate the location so it wouldn't you know, the Tale of Ward was in Scandinavia because I'm not going to make a game about Norse mythology that happens <laughs> in America, right? Um, so, the Avengers yeah, I mean, did it. Come on. <laughs> that, that's authentic. I, I'm pretty sure that they, they say Mjolnir and Bifrost a couple times. Completely authentic. So, I mean, I think I think it's just... 
the game dictates the place for me. And uh, the next one might not even have any place. Or maybe you'll be interacting with um, beings from another dimension. Who knows? I love it. We're going to Flat World. I love Flat World. Well, Rita, this has been such a pleasure. I, I can't wait until we're far enough down the road uh, that we could maybe possibly venture into a spoiler cast for this game because there are specifics that I want to dig out of this. That would be heavily labeled because I have no doubt that this is going to be a success. And unlike the Tale of Ord, which we've done a spoiler cast for, which reached its completion and is now a ephemeral memento in the history of games i'm thinking the light in the mist is going to be one of these evergreen games that uh is, is going to be around forever so we'll have to be cautious with that if we do a spoiler cast but <laughs> well for people now, know it's got spoilers if they're listening to the spoiler cast so exactly it's, it's only called a spoiler cast nevertheless someone would be like oh man i didn't want you to spoil that for me it's like well oh, did you spoiler cast is full of spoilers <laughs> yeah that that in and itself is a spoiler i guess but this has been so great to have you on uh for everyone in the audience uh the, the light in the mist is going to be up on kickstarter uh, by the time that this launches and I will make sure that I have all the links to everything there. We also have a review for it, which you can check out links to that as well. Uh, and seriously, uh, if you don't want to spoil yourself on the game, you don't want to watch any reviews or anything. All I can say is just if you like puzzles, you like really well told stories. This is just uh, incredible. The artwork alone, like Jack Fallows. Ugh ridiculous ridiculous I know, right? rita. <laughs> thanks for coming on to the show rita it's been a pleasure thank you jack it's been great